Richard Blissbrook here. We are live. We sit here today with none other than Mark Victor Hansen. Bob Proctor. This is Kendra Hall. Tanya Stringer. Jeff Canfield. Whit Jones. James Clear. Les Brown. People want to hear stories. I like getting stories out of my guests here. So thanks for joining us. Les Brown is a national treasure and a global powerhouse of inspiration. He is to millions of ambitious souls the inspirational source of their dreams and the wind beneath their wings. Les was born with his twin brother, Wesley, in Liberty City, Florida, a low-income section of Miami. At six weeks old, the boys were adopted by Mammy Brown, a 38-year-old single mom and domestic worker. Les was introduced to personal development, positive thinking, and some of the great minds of our time at age 10 when he worked part-time cleaning the office of Mr. Sadarsky, who listened to the likes of Norman Vincent Peale, Earl Nightingale, and Ernest Holmes. Les loved to eavesdrop on the message of hope and inspiration. In spite of being labeled mentally retarded and the dumb twin in grade school, Les used the consistent messages of innate greatness in all of us to build his own vision for his life and the confidence to pull it off. Les is the best-selling author of several books, including You've Got to Be Hungry, his audio series, Choosing Your Future, is widely acclaimed for inspiring millions of people around the world. In 1990, Les recorded the Emmy Award-winning series of speeches entitled You Deserve, which became the lead fundraising program of its kind for pledges to PBS stations nationwide. As a world-renowned motivational speaker, Les has received the National Speaker Association's highest award, the Council of Peers Awards for Excellence, as well as the prestigious Golden Gavel Award from Toastmasters International. Les Brown is deeply respected by his peers and his patients. When Dr. Brown is in the house, people listen. I've been wanting to get Les Brown to sit down for years and talk about his experience and his views on network marketing. And today, we've got him. So welcome to the show. Hey, everybody. Richard Blissbrook here with yet another authentic networker podcast. And today, finally, I had to send him a private jet to get him to respond to, <laughs> to my text message. <laughs> but I finally tracked down the incredible Les Brown to spend a few minutes with us today to talk about success and principles and story and mindset. And Les Brown, you have touched my heart for over 30 years and millions of other people around the world. Thank you so much for being you, for your courageous journey. And thank you for being here tonight for The Authentic Networker. Well, it's a pleasure to be here with you. And thank you for who you've been in terms of bringing light and giving people opportunities that will allow them to live their dreams rather than their fears. So it's a plum pleasing pleasure as well as a privilege to be here to spend some time with you. Look what I got, Les. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Yes, too many people are not living their dreams. They're living their fears. They are. Well, how, here's how I want to start, Les. I have heard the story so many times, but there's tens of thousands of people that are going to be watching this and they probably haven't heard the story. Would you tell us the story of how you grew up because you overcame some extraordinary obstacles and you tell that story so beautifully and it'll set us up to talk about 
the success principles that you've been sharing worldwide for your whole life. Well, thank you very much for this opportunity. I, I was born in a poor section of Miami, Florida called Liberty City, an abandoned building with a twin brother, Wesley. And we were taken in as foster kids and then adopted by Mrs. Mamie Brown. I'm, I'm here because of two women. One gave us life and the other one gave us love. I always quote Abraham Lincoln who said, all that I am and all that I ever hope to be, I owe to my mother. And when I was in the fifth grade, I was labeled educable mentally retarded, put back from the fifth grade to the fourth grade and failed again when I was in the eighth grade. But I had this high school teacher who was very much had a personality like you. I was in his class looking for a friend. He said, young man, go to the board and work this problem out for me. And I said, sir, I can't do that. And he said, why not? I said, I'm not one of your students. And he said, well, do it anyhow. And, and I said, I can't, sir. And the other students started laughing, saying, he's Leslie. He's got a twin brother, Wesley. He's DT. And he asked, what's DT? He's the dumb twin. And I wow. said, I am, sir. And he came from behind his desk and he pointed at me. He said, don't you ever say that again. Someone's opinion of you does not have to become your reality. Do you hear me? And it, it, it startled me. You know, it's when we speak, when you have this program, what we do is we interrupt the story that people believe about themselves. We distract, dispute, and inspire. Because when you speak and, and, and cause a disruption of how they see themselves, life is built, from my perspective, on disruptions, on transformation, and choices, what we do with the time that we have left with whatever life throws at us and is going to throw some stuff. Forrest Gump said, life is like a box of chocolates. You never know what you're going to get. And that's all I got to say about that. <laughs> <laughs> you, can, you can pull off a lot of accents, Les, but I don't know if you can pull that one off. <laughs> tell, me about, tell me about disruption. What do you mean by disruption? What is that? Like the pandemic diet. I mean, like the pandemic. It's that's a disruption we never saw coming. Like when I I'm here in, in Atlanta and I was at Cancer Centers of America two weeks ago, spent eight hours there. And Dr. Taha said, Mr. Brown, are you aware you have fourth stage cancer? That's a disruption. I mean, yeah. cancer is the, 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 the most feared word in seven different languages. And I asked him, I said, what else? He said, it's metastasized to seven areas of your body. I said, wow. He said, why are you smiling? I said, seven is my lucky number. I'm one of seven children. I was born February the 17th. Joshua marched around the walls of Jericho seven times. Naaman dipped himself in the River Jordan seven times. Seven is my lucky number. I said, is there anything else? He said, your PSA is 2,400. I said, wow. I said, is there anything else? He said, yes. I said, what is it? He said, and you're ugly too. <laughs> <laughs> I said, you didn't just call me ugly, did you? He said, yes, but you got this. I determined the diagnosis. I never tell any of my patients they're terminally ill. What I say is that my knowledge, my abilities, and skills have terminated. 
but you and God determines the prognosis. And because of how he dealt with that, Richard, most people in a fearful situation, they forget everything and run. But there are others who, in a fearful situation, face everything and rise, as opposed to leaving his office with a heart full of fear. Where your heart is there, your treasure is also. I left there with a heart full of faith, and faith not tested can't be trusted. And I knew that I was going to be fine. And that was 29 years ago when I got the diagnosis, and I'm still here kicking cancer's butt. <laughs> every time, I think every time I've heard you speak, Les, at least in the last 20 years, you've been telling the story about stage four cancer. <laughs> you got to be the longest cancer survivor of stage four on the planet. And how couldn't you be with that attitude? I mean, your doctor had to just be amazed um, at the attitude and the words. You know, Les, one of the things I've always been inspired by you with is your choice of words. Can you tell the audience why words matter? Words they affect our attitude and how we see ourselves. The words that we speak to ourselves, studies indicate that over 87% of our self-talk is negative. So we must monitor the words that we speak to ourselves, the words that we speak to the people that we love, and the words that we speak about our dreams and our aspirations. Words are very, very powerful. It was Steve Jobs, he said, the storyteller, the person who knows how to put words together is the most powerful person on the planet. And he's actually very, very right when he said that because we live in the attention economy, very noisy world. And your ability to communicate how you use words will determine whether or not you're able to draw attention to yourself or your product or your ideas, your business or your knowledge and make a point, be able to tell your story and be able to influence and impact people. Words are crucial. You know, I, one of the things that I've always admired about you, uh, a gift that you have is if I'm sitting in a room or on the computer listening to one of your trainings, the content of your training, you know, might be packed into this much area, but what you do such a brilliant job of on top of the content is selling the audience on executing, embracing, believing in, and utilizing the content. And I was, I was just thinking about you this morning as I was listening to a big company, a $2 billion a year company, present something. And I was thinking, and they need Les Brown here to tell the story <laughs> that'll have people buy what they're selling because they're just spewing information. And, and I know you've been doing a lot of work with people in the last few years on storytelling. What can you tell us about our own story and how important it is that our voice gets out there and be heard? I heard you say it this way once that our voice is for somebody. There's somebody out there waiting to hear our story and our voice. Some people hear your voice. Some people hear my voice. Some people are going to hear other people's voice. Can you tell us about that? 
Yes, there's a frequency behind every voice. One of the things that allowed me to stand out when I came into the speaking industry, it was governed by the philosophy of the Dale Carnegie course, which is a great course. Tell them what you're going to tell them. Tell them and then tell them what you told them. My mentor, Mike Williams, taught me. Brownie, never let what you want to say get in the way of what the audience needs to hear. Conduct communications intelligence. Find out what are they looking for. What's the third party validation? So that's number one. Number two. It also was governed by people giving information from the book, Think and Grow Rich, which is a classic. Well, if information could change people, everybody would be skinny, rich, and happy. I came in with a story. Why? When you use information to try and influence people, it'll only impact two areas of the brain. But when you use stories, that impacts five areas of the brain, including igniting the chemistry that one experiences when they are in love. So we are emotional people. You want to expand their mind, touch their hearts, and ignite their spirits with stories. So they become, as Mother Teresa would say, a pencil in the hand of God and start writing a new chapter in their lives. Yeah. Beautiful. Well, speaking of stories, tell this one. Um, I think you were about the age of 10 when you were, uh, you got a job like cleaning up somebody's office. I asked you this question one time, when's the first time you ever heard personal development? And you told a story about a man that you kind of worked for on a part-time basis, or maybe you just volunteered to work for him so you could listen to his stuff. Can you tell the story about the first time you ever heard personal development and how that changed your life? Yes, I was shining the shoes of Mr. Sudersky, and he he loved Earl Nightingale, and he listened to Lead the Field and The Strangest Secret. And while shining his shoes, I listened, and I was fascinated with the words. Now, mind you, it's February 17th, I turned 76. During this time on Miami Beach, they used to have signs that said, Jews, dogs, and coloreds not allowed. So I was in an environment that was designed to oppress and to destroy my sense of self. So hearing these words that changed how I felt, hearing these words that interrupted the culture that I was in that was designed to marginalize how I saw myself and systems put in place to keep me from advancing and not acknowledging my humanity. It created a hunger for a bigger life, a hunger and determination that this environment, my circumstances, how adverse that they are, that they're not going to deny me to live the life that I want to live, to take care of my mother. I promised my mother, I said, mama, when we would go on Miami Beach and she's clean homes and, and she cooked for families and we ate the food left over from the families that she cooked for. She kept their children and we wore the hand-me-down clothes of the children that she kept. And I looked at these big, beautiful homes and I said, mama, when I become a man, I'm gonna buy you a big, beautiful home just like this. And she said, Leslie, you, you don't have to do that. I said, I know. 
but you didn't have to take us in as foster kids and adopt us either. She never had any children herself. She had a third grade education and she took in seven foster kids and eventually adopted all of us. So wow. I, I, I wanted to take care of her. I said, when I turn 18, you'll never pay another bill. I'm going to set you down. And I took care of my mother and bought her a home until she made her transition at 89. You wow. can tell I'm, I am a mama's boy. I, I gave her not only a Mother's Day card, but Father's Day cards too, because she was a mother and she served as a father. So she is everything to me. Yeah. And so Les, you've had an interesting journey, you know, being a disc jockey, you've had your own television show. You were a Ohio State congressman for four or five years, um, married to Gladys Knight. <laughs> you, you've had an incredible journey. What, what is it that has you, that had you gravitate to being a life changer, an inspirational speaker, author, and coach? What is it about that journey of personal development that that's how you spent your life. Because that's what impacted me. I believe that we were chosen out of 400 million sperm to do a greater work. A job is what you get paid for. A calling is what you're made for. A calling is something that you love so much. You, you love it so much, you do it for nothing. And you do it so well that people will pay you to do it. And I used to just volunteer to speak because I wanted to impact other people's lives as Mr. Washington had impacted my life. And then people start asking me to speak for them. If you Google the people watching Les Brown speaking in the Georgia Dome, they'll see me speaking to over 80,000 people. And yep. so the way I got there doing what I feel that is my calling, that is the making of my life. I was born to speak. My children tell me I speak in my sleep. <laughs> so people out there, Les, that are, you know, if you look at where you came from and the obstacles that you overcome and the life that you've lived, um, which may not be measured in your net worth or your mansion, but the number of people that you have touched around the world in your life is, um, I don't know how many people can say they've touched as many people as you have. And I, I believe the reason you've touched so many people is you've found your, your gift, you found your jam, you found your bliss. What would you say to people that are out there that, you know, they're living in doubt, they're living in worry, they're living in fear, they haven't found their groove, they're struggling. What would you say to them to disrupt them? To maybe, you know, put them on a path of momentum and doing something that's fun and significant with their life? I'm encouraging them to become a risk taker. Viscott said, if you're not willing to risk, you cannot grow. And if you cannot grow, you can't become your best. And if you can't become your best, you can't be happy. And if you can't be happy, then what else is there? Most people 
die at age 25 and don't get buried until they're 65. And so it's very important that we learn to walk by faith and not by sight. It's power in pursuit. And the achievement of the goals, as you know, is not as important as what you become in pursuit of the goal. You will never discover the true purpose of why you're here if you stay in your comfort zone. When people listen to you as a speaker and as a host of a program, you take them to a place in themselves that they cannot go by themselves. And sometimes in this thing we call life, you have to believe in somebody's belief in you until your belief kicks in. That's why whenever I start off a presentation, I always start off by saying, you have something special. You have greatness in you. I don't know you, but based upon my experience, based upon what I've gone through, I'm saying to you, there's some value in what Simba, Lion King, you're more than that which you have become. You are more than that which you have become. Greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world. Oh, you are more than a conqueror. And so I'm encouraging you to pursue your greatness. Average is over. This is the time to get out of your head and step into your greatness. And when you're pursuing your greatness, you don't know what your limits are. So you act like you don't have any. One of the things that you said that I love is that when we are 100% responsible, we find the hunger to achieve our dreams. You got to be hungry. <laughs> yeah. Tell us, tell us a little bit about a hundred percent responsible, because you know that might land for somebody who's living in doubt, worry, and fear, and struggle. As what do you mean? I got to be a hundred percent responsible. Sounds to me like it's easier to blame my plight on somebody else. How is being a hundred percent responsible a game changer for people? People who are governed by hunger, they find a way to win. People who are hungry, they take no prisoners and eat the wounded. <laughs> People that are hungry, believe, always strive to get on top of life because it's the bottom that's overcrowded. Life happens to all of us. Life is not fair. I mean, it's not fair that birds eat worms, and they do. <laughs> It's called life. Don't go around telling everybody. 80% don't care. 20% glad is you. It's You're going to have some things happen. I have a saying, if life knocks you down, try and land on your back. Because if you can look up, you can get up. And we are stronger than we realize. And many times we don't know how strong we are until we have to be strong. And so it's very important to realize we have to tap into a level of resiliency, three main things right now that will help people to move and create momentum in their lives during the coronavirus. Number one, mental resiliency. People say garbage in, garbage out. No, garbage in, garbage stays. Monitor what you're taking in. Number two, upgrade your skill set. 
You've got to be willing to learn something new. Throw your net on the other side. Einstein said, the thinking that has brought me this far has created some problems that this thinking can't solve. If you come into 2021, where we want to get it done with a 2020 mindset, you're going to be taken out. And so if you are willing to learn something different than what you now know, if you're not willing to learn, nobody can help you. But if you're willing to learn, no one can stop you. And the third thing, create collaborative, achievement-driven, supportive relationships. I get over 3,000 requests a year. I don't call everybody back, but when a Richard Brooks called me, I'm going to call him back because that's my brother from another mother. <laughs> Thank you, sir. It's not what you, it's not what you know is, is who you know. And I said, no, it's who you know and what they know about you. And I know you, a person, you have a heart for people. I know you, you care about people and you want to make a difference, you know. It was Horace Mann who said, we should be ashamed to die until we've made some major contribution to humankind. And you decided a long time ago that you're gonna live a life that will outlive you. And to God be the glory. We're here because of his grace and mercy and we've all been blessed because of you, your words and the commitment of your life. Thank you, sir. If I was the president of the United States, the first person I would give that Medal of Freedom to is Leslie Brown. <laughs> Thank because, you. Because um, what you have done with your life is just absolutely extraordinary. And I appreciate this 30 precious minutes um, so much. Thank you, sir, for your friendship, for your contribution, for your spirit, for your fight, for your hunger, for your words, for your gift to sing your words and sell your message to move people on to a better life. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Thank you, and I appreciate you so much that life is a fight for territory. Once you stop fighting for what you want, what you don't want will automatically take over. Bye for now.